take a deep breath Take the higher road That's what they always say As if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself Cause life ain't just a dream You make your own So kick and scream The people will like With a never ending force You never had the chance So what you waiting for The day has come my friend Cause this is war into this fight for medical freedom, I really had no idea the extent of the changes that would come about in my life, both personally and professionally. As an allopathically trained nurse for my entire career, you can imagine that over these past three years, I'd begun questioning everything. At first, I was very angry. I was angry that after all of my hard work, my many years of training, and the financial investments that went into earning my degrees, all of this now seemed to be a waste of my efforts and of my resources. And I would now have to invest even more time and more money to now unlearn what I had long believed to be true. I now have to open myself up to learning how to nurse from a more holistic and integrative perspective. And that was something that for years I had been led to believe was somehow controversial and that it should immediately be met with skepticism and written off as quackery. Now, over the past year, I have learned a lot and my mindset has completely shifted. Functional medicine is actually an evidence-based, patient-centered approach to healthcare. It focuses on identifying and addressing the root causes of chronic illness through a comprehensive assessment of lifestyle, diet, environment, and genetics. It seeks to understand the underlying mechanisms of diseases rather than just slapping a Band-Aid on the symptoms. By understanding these mechanisms, practitioners can develop individualized treatment plans that are tailored to each person's specific needs because healthcare is not one size fits all. This area of medicine has been gaining popularity, as you might imagine, in recent years due to its holistic approach and its focus on prevention and wellness rather than just managing disease. And this is something that has been my vision and ultimate goal for Nurse Freedom Network and now for Remnant Nursing, to be able to create and to sustain an environment where all of us, nurses and patients alike, are able to thrive. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you are seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can submit those to any of the hosts by visiting americaoutloud.com forward slash nurses out loud. From there, you can select the name of the nurse you'd like to direct it to from our drop down menu. We would love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you are able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Joining me today is Dr. Krishna Donaparthi. He is a physician specializing in fatty acids and phospholipids for cellular repair and regeneration. 
He practices functional medicine in Alpharetta, Georgia, focusing on biological substrates for cellular detoxification to help children and adults with complex medical conditions due to epigenetic changes. Dr. Donna Parthi also educates and trains practitioners on implementing clinical treatments for long COVID, vaccine injury, mold and fungus infections, neurological disorders, and other intricate medical conditions. His primary focus of research is on preconception medicine and its potential effect on spectrum disorder, cancer, and genetic and epigenetic predispositions. Dr. Donna Parthi, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. I'm very excited to have you. So you know, I have to ask you this. So you are an MD, right? So yes. So I can only assume that much like myself, you had been allopathically trained. Is that a safe assumption to make? That is correct. Yeah, I thought so. Now, so when did the light switch go off for you? You know, for me, it was definitely COVID. So it hasn't been that long. Um, but that really opened my eyes in many ways. Now, tell me a little bit about your background, your training, and what led you to become, you know, just to come into this world of functional medicine. Well, I, Kimberly, I took the uh, the red pill a long time ago instead of taking the blue pill, if you know what I'm talking about. Good choice. So the red pill was uh, because, uh, for those who don't know, the, it's the matrix. Neo gets out of the matrix and sees the real truth. So the real truth for me was I was under the assumption when I was in medical school or prior to medical school that people got better. And when I got into residency training, that uh, that was not the case. It was what, exactly what you described in your intro is that much of medicine is treating the symptomology and not the root cause. So that's what sparked me to move on to bigger and better things. And uh, that unfortunately happened in the first year of residency, or I should say actually fortunately happened to me in the first year of residency. And I decided that after I graduate, that I would try to do something different. Now, did you get any pushback from, you know, the people, other doctors that, uh, you know, were in residency with you? Or what, what were their thoughts when you were coming and having these revelations? Actually, I kind of kept it to myself at the time. And I didn't quite understand much of what we know in nutrition and lifestyle that I learned much later. And so I had really no one to kind of discuss it with. And I just didn't know what the right questions were at the time. So I, I did get through residency. I was actually chief resident at my program. I was very good at what I did. That's why I got the chief residency. But it was not, at the end of the day, it was not what I wanted to do. But I, again, there are kind of different parts of medicine, some that are acute care and some that are chronic care. So the chronic care part, I really didn't care for trying to refill medications instead of getting to the root cause. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, we are, as a society, we're just so brainwashed into thinking and believing that the prescription pad is the, the only way or the best way. And it's typically the first, um, the first line of treatment anybody goes to. They immediately go to the prescription pad rather than you know, looking into uh, the patient's diet and, you know, what, what are they doing? Are they getting exercise? And, 
you know, like look at all the, the medications that people that are suffering from depression, they immediately go to uh, antidepressants uh, rather than, you know, looking at what, it, what could be causing that and looking at the gut, 95% of our serotonin is produced in the gut. So why are we not digging a little deeper, heal the gut, we might be resolving many of these symptoms that we're having, yet nobody wants to go there first. Is it just that we've been conditioned this way by med medical schools and nursing schools and that they're all owned in some fashion by big pharma? Uh, I would say it's partly just the idea of medicine itself and the medical training, whether it's on the physician side or the nursing side, it's just to identify what the problem is, give it a name, and then give it a medication so that you can manage the patient. Uh, so that's the modus operandi. So it's it, it works for the insurance world, uh, but it doesn't, and it's really kind of funny that it's called health insurance. It really should be called sickness insurance, but that's a topic for another time. Yeah, that's so true, though. I mean, it's, it's truly, I, call, I refer to the system all the time as a sick care system because it really doesn't do anything to keep anyone well. I've been in, in this system for 26 years now. And, you know, I came in, I've worked in all areas of, I came in uh, as a clinical medical assistant is how I started my career. And then I later on went uh, back to school for my nursing degree. Um, but I've worked in, you know, family medicine. I've worked in neurology. I've worked in obstetrics. So I've, I've worked in various um various areas and none of it it's none of it is about keeping anybody well it's exactly as you described it where they come in with the symptoms and we match them up with what medication i was actually talking about that earlier today in nursing school we don't really learn about nutrition or anything like that but they sure do give us a whole list of medications that we have to memorize. We have to memorize what they're used for, um, what symptoms, if they're having those, what medications should be prescribed for them. And we have to make little cards on those. And it's as if they're just completely indoctrinating us with um, associating symptom with a medication. And we don't ever think outside of that box. Yeah, interestingly, even in our medical licensing exam um, exams, uh, we're asked if medication doesn't work or internal medicine or, or whatever it might be specialty, then really uh, the questions in the licensing exam is what are you going to do next? What test are you going to get? And when are you going to offer surgery? Because you, you failed on the medical side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so true. Even like um, in orthopedics, especially I had gone, I had a shoulder injury and I can remember going in to see the ortho and um, I had just, I had an impid shoulder and I, as soon as my very first appointment was over, they were wanting to schedule me for surgery. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Can we be a little bit more conservative with the, with this treatment? Can we at least see if something else will help, you know, before we get ready to cut me open? And it's, that is the, the, the MO completely is just to, you know, get you on this, the books for surgery, no matter what it is. Um, and no matter what, you know, other things might work or might be able to improve your quality of life, they want to immediately go to medication or surgeries. Um, and to me, I feel like, and I was an ICU nurse and I felt like part of the most, the most depressing part of, of working in the critical care unit was how much of what we saw that disease was all preventable. 
it was all preventable with like simple lifestyle modifications. It truly did not have to be that way. Um, and that was even pre-COVID, how just completely depressing it was to see, you know, people's quality of life and knowing that it, it could be better if we just looked at things like nutrition and exercise and just these small little changes that we could be making every day. Because the standard American diet is a big problem in this country. Don't you agree? Yes, the, the nutrition is very important. Lifestyle is very important. And that what we call in medicine are modifiable risk factors. And that's, you're absolutely correct. We should all be learning more about nutrition and what we can do in our own life in order to minimize stress and other things. But much of my practice now, I'm, I'm realizing on the functional medicine side, uh, even functional medicine can go only so far in the sense that we want to address nutrition and lifestyle, but there's things that are unmodifiable or partially modifiable, I should say, that we're all struggling with, but we have no idea that we're struggling with them. And that has to do with some of the things we don't have control over. So we don't have control over the air we breathe, perhaps the water we drink, or even if the food we eat, even if you think it was organic and non-GMO, and that's the new paradigm that is occurring. And I know uh, that has, from my work, that is creating one of some of the new chronic illness uh, issues. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think I completely agree with you. It's such a combination of things. And it's, it's as if, you know, they're coming at us from every angle, like you said, whether it's the, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink. And even if you do eat as clean as you possibly can, if you eat organic, I, I don't know if it's just because I have trust issues, but I'm like, how do I really know it's organic? You know, just because they say it is. (laughs) I think I have those trust issues with it, but I, I think there's no, and to the way uh, the ways in which they're trying to kind of toxify um, our environment and our bodies, but you know, but as a society, we've really been seeing our children just get getting sicker and sicker. You know, more so than I think that they've ever been historically. Which you would think, with all of the advances in medicine and technology, that you would feel like it would be quite the opposite from that. But it seems that there's just been a dramatic rise of chronic illnesses among these younger generations, you know, particularly with autism. I believe if I'm, I think it's now one in 36 children are now on the spectrum. And uh, it seems to also be just a sharp increase in autoimmune conditions, allergies, asthma, food intolerance, ADHD. I mean, where does it end, right? But now I have some thoughts on what might be contributing. I actually think it is a combination of things, not to just a few of them, the ones we just mentioned. Um, but I would definitely be more interested in hearing your thoughts, why this might be happening and what can we do to reverse course? Yeah. So the issue is, and, and, and again, in my testing and what I've noticed, I look on a deeper level than uh, most others, even in the functional medicine world to see what's going on on a cellular level, to see what is interfering with the functions of the cell, whether it's metabolism detoxification, uh, or other functions, even uh, the DNA having to replicate itself. So, and right now, the big, one of the bigger topics is mitochondrial health. Uh, how is the mitochondria uh, functioning or not functioning? Uh, and uh, I'm one of the 
first people who had noticed that, and many of you who are listening in will probably want to look this up, but there is a crosstalk between the mitochondria and the DNA, meaning that though the mitochondria merged with eukaryotic cells a long time ago, uh, millions or billions of years ago, and it's a symbiotic relationship, nothing by the DNA happens if not the mitochondria first gives the direction to allow it to happen, meaning that all of the nuclear DNA, our, our own personal DNA, all of it is actually in the mitochondrial DNA. So if you want to generate a hormone or a protein or whatever it is, the mitochondria has to first give you the signal to say it's okay. The issue nowadays is the amount of toxins and toxicants that we're exposed to they are very um, easily penetratable into the, into the cells on a cell membrane level, mitochondria level, cytoplasmic, and nuclear DNA level. So all of these chemicals, I, can, I am now finding I can test these and check the function of the mitochondria. And it is absolutely shocking what you'll find uh, the rabbit hole is super deep when you see what's in our cells. And this is very different. This kind of specialized testing is very different even in, from the functional medicine world where if you like look and try to dig deep and see what kind of issues we're having. So for instance, you could say it's glyphosate, it's, uh, it's uh, mercury or it's aluminum or it's this or that, BPA and so on. I wish I could tell you that those are the only issues. Uh, they might be at the top of the list, but there are so many chemicals that are uh, accumulating. And the more that we accumulate generation to generation, the more we're going to become sick as a society and as a global population. So that's why when you're mentioning that autism is now perhaps one in 36. That number, unfortunately, is going to get worse unless we do something different because the toxicities are now being um, passed on from mother to child. And so the child is already born with a high level of toxicity, though they're living, but then they're vulnerable to something else happening in their in their uh, near distant future. Yeah, and this would be passed on then uh, generation to generation, like um, uh, in in the, the in the mother's eggs. You know, when um, as they're moving forward, that would just continue to be passed down. That's correct because um, whether yeah, when the mother is carrying the baby the baby is getting everything. And if it's a female baby, the eggs of the female are already fully developed at the time of birth. So the, when that baby's female baby is born, uh, 14 to 16 years later, when she starts to menstruate, that's when the eggs start to, uh, are allowed to ovulate and go down the fallopian tubes. You have menstruation, but those eggs are already corrupted. That is a very scary scenario. But this is not just on that level. I mean, this is the toxins and toxicants that we're uh, accumulating can affect adult conditions too. So we're talking about 
hypertension, diabetes, thyroid issues, cancer, and so on are all or can be perpetuated by the toxins that we're accumulating either from pre-birth, birth, and, and so on. Yeah, it's, it's a wonder we ever we even make it a year living in this just toxic environment. I'm surprised that we uh, survive and any of us thrive uh, the way we might. But so tell me about these tests that you're talking about. Are they blood tests or what kind of tests are they? Yeah, so these are these are blood tests. And it's a little, again, a very specialized test. And uh, they're actually sent out of the country and in order to get them tested. What they're looking for is um, intracellular levels of various things, how things are working in the cell, how is the cell membrane, which is the outer coating of the cell, is it, is it um, in good shape or not, what does the mitochondrial structure look like, and so on. So based on the results of individuals and, and the epigenetic changes are by far the most important. Uh, for those who don't know uh, what, what I'm saying, epigenetic changes are things that are happening on the DNA that are influenced by the environment. So those are also prevalent. And you can see what part of the DNA is affected. And then, I've, of course, I've created a protocol and a treatment plan that's um, available to help clear out those toxins or toxicants but this is, uh, is a specialized test that goes outside of the country. It is a blood test. It's focused on T lymphocytes. And the T lymphocytes are interesting cells, are part of our immune system. T lymphocytes are scavengers. They're constantly looking around, uh, around the whole body to see what's going on. And they can pick up cellular debris or whatever is floating around in the blood. So they are somewhat of a, a sponge, you can say. And that sponge ends up showing what kind of toxins and toxicants are present, what kind of function is going on on a mitochondrial level and a nuclear level. And, and this is going to be the focus of a new kind of medicine that we need to know what's going on on a cellular level. Otherwise, you're going to be in the dark. If you think you can focus on supplements only, uh, you're going to be mistaken because you have to figure out what do you need to repair and fix it so that when you do give a supplement or a hormone, bioidentical or otherwise, that they will actually work. Right now, so is this something that you would you would uh, test and then you would have to repeat testing? And how often would you repeat that test? You know, repeat testing is just like in, in the hospital or in a clinic. If someone's getting better, you don't retest. Right. Let's, let's just say, for instance, about uh, flu. If you got the flu and you're better, do you need to retest to see if you still have flu? No, the answer is no. And in terms of this kind of testing that I do, epigenetic and genetic testing and cellular function, the only time I retest is if things are not improving. I need to know what's going on. Same thing happens in our regular medical world. We retest. Uh, CBC or a CMP, if we think that, hey, the patient's not getting better, that's the only time to retest. So usually a baseline test is sufficient to move forward with treatment plans. 
Okay. And what is the what's the expense on a test like that? Is it rather expensive or is do would you say it's affordable? Yeah, this is a great question. It's a super specialized test. Yeah. And it and it really requires um, training on a practitioner level, which I do. Mm -hmm. um, but it can vary. It depends on what is going on with the patient. So just like you don't order any kind of blood tests from LabCorp or Quest, just willy-nilly, you, you would target your testing according to the patient's symptoms or what's going on with them. So with that in mind, it can vary. This is, I would have to say, an ex a more expensive test than usual and is not covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. It is anywhere from $1,200 and up. But I pick the, the uh, panels that are appropriate for that patient. Right. So you can kind of customize it to their specific need. And then, That's correct. That's good. Okay. So, it's, uh, so the word there, I think that's going around is precision medicine. We want to be very precise as to what we're doing, how we test, and how we treat. Yeah, and that, that's so true because it seems like, you know, healthcare, they are really trying to make it one size fits all and they're just putting everybody in a box and check a box and check a box. And you know, the, the truth is, the fact of the matter is, is we are not all the same. We are all very different. I mean, what works for one person may not work for the next person. And I think that it's really, I, that's what I love about functional medicine is that it does take that individualized approach. Um, and you really get to know your patients and what is bothering. So what are some of the symptoms that, that would trigger you to go ahead and order that very specialized test? I tend to see people of all kinds of different kinds of symptomology, but I tend to get a lot of people who have very complex medical issues. So um, my usual testing is, I, I like four different things. Number one is a stool analysis, just to see what's going on that level. Uh, gut health is super important. It's my number one go-to thing to do. Number two is to get a general blood work. That's where uh, conventional medicine and functional medicine are, um, are, are equal. We want to see what the CBC, CMP, thyroid function, lipid panel, and so on. Next is a fatty acid test to see what all of the fatty acids in the body are doing, if they're imbalanced or not, and how to balance those. And then finally, the epigenetic and genetic testing, uh, cellular testing, as I could probably summarize. Uh, those are my four go-to tests. And so testing like this, you know, if it was symptom specific, is this something you would start with? You know, do you just see children and adults? Um, adults and children, yes, because I'm family medicine trained. I see all age groups. Um, but the more severe they are, the more likely I'm to get uh, the more advanced testing. Mm -hmm. If it's something more simple, and, and I have to stratify, I'm sure you do too, um, I stratify their what their condition is and what their risk is. And if it's something simple, I might start out with a stool analysis and generalized testing but if it's more complex, I'm moving on to the fatty acid test. And if it's even more complex than that, I'm going to do the specialized cellular testing. Yeah. And I think, you know, for myself, um, as, I, as I start to see so many of these children that are just sick or definitely sicker than I remember in my generation. I mean, I'm, I'm 45. So, I mean, I, 
you know, not to say we weren't sick, but the, the children today just seem to be a lot sicker and with a lot more chronic illnesses. And again, like the ADHD, the autism and the food allergies and all of this. And like I said before, I, I think it's a combination of things, um, the, the food, the, the standard American diet, the lack of exercise, the, um, you know, the waters, uh, uh, air we breathe, everything is contributing. I definitely, you know, and, and I, when I came into this fight, I was not uh, anti-vax at all. I was, I wouldn't say I was militantly pro-vaccine. I was just more like, yeah, the, this is what we do. We just implicitly trust vaccines and they're good. If you didn't want them, I didn't make a big thing about that. But, but now I've really completely shifted my mindset and I feel that we are all vaccine injured on some level. I can remember getting, I got into uh, healthcare when I was 19 years old and I got my three series hep B and I really didn't make any correlation to this until literally a month ago. Um, but several months later, when I was 19 years old, I began to have and be diagnosed with all of my autoimmune conditions. I was diagnosed with psoriasis, I have psoriatic arthritis, and I have now rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and I just now correlate that to potentially, and there's no way to prove it, of course, but I, I kind of go back and say, well, I wonder if it was these vaccines. And are, do you feel like we might all be vaccine injured on some level if we've had any of these vaccines? Uh, absolutely. But like I said, it's never one thing. It's the culmination of things. Yeah. And uh, and when you said that we are all sicker, I would say we're actually more all more vulnerable. That makes us more sicker. So whether it's vaccines or other things, environmental chemicals and so on, they're all important, I would have to say. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I think especially with these vaccines, it seems like the COVID-19 vaccines, it's, and I'm not vaccinated, uh, thank God for my discernment on that one, because I've received all of my flu shots before. You know, I just really was uncomfortable with the, the way it was being rolled out and the lack of safety data. I thought it should have been rolled out with a little bit more risk mitigation. And I definitely didn't think we should be going first uh, as healthcare workers. Um, but I, I see now people are sicker than they have ever been adults. I've seen more cases of adult appendicitis and tonsillitis and so all kinds of interesting things and in infections, fungal infections and pneumonia, adult RSV. I don't ever recall seeing that in my entire career. So I think that we're just systematically destroying immune systems. And, you know, to your point, it is, I think, a combination of many things, but it seems like that was like the nail in the coffin um, for these immune systems. Because interestingly enough, I worked in the ICU throughout the entire pandemic. I'm actually on immunosuppressants, um, Humira, and I never got, I just recently got COVID. I went almost three years without getting it. Oh, good for you. Yeah. And I and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like the healthiest person ever either, because nurses are historically not that healthy. So it was just interesting to me. Um, but I definitely think that these shots are definitely destroying immune systems. And with the, the recent news of uh, putting them on the recommendations, ASIP and the CDC, including them now in the recommendations for the CDC schedule, it's just it's um, it's so disturbing to me. But. You know, yeah, I don't, I'm sure I don't have to tell you or your audience, but the more sh uh, the reports are out, the more shots that you get, the more likely you're to have mortality. Exactly. It's a cumulative effect. And I am like literally to the point I went on my Facebook. I'll probably be in Facebook jail here soon. But I went on there and I'm like literally begging people to not not vaccinate their children 
um, with these mRNA experimental vaccines. I really don't encourage any of them anymore, but especially this one, we are obviously seeing uh, so much death and devastation. And uh, unfortunately, you know, people continue and despite the obvious harm, they continue to offer these boosters. I've just, I've never seen anything like it, but uh, we have to, we have to keep the pressure on and we need to keep informing, educating and empowering so that future generations can once again live up to their highest and healthiest potential. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. Now you can listen to our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa, 24-7 Great Talk Radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart, Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is world. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly here. I want to tell you about these amazing products from Genesis. I am loving the UX4 Stationary HOCL Atomizer. Now don't be fooled by its sleek design because this machine packs a powerful punch. It uses an ultrasonic atomization technique to create a dry mist that turns into droplets and gas, delivering active ingredients throughout the room. And when you add an HOCL cleaning solution, it is effective in reducing 99.99% of germs and allergens. The hypochlorous is the body's first line of defense in response to injury and infection. It is 100 times more effective than chlorine bleach at killing pathogens such as bacteria, viruses, mold, and mildew. It's hypoallergenic, non-toxic, non-cytotoxic, and safe for use around children, pets, and plants. Now more than ever, it is so important to be sure that we are disinfecting the surfaces in our homes and in the air that we breathe. But constantly wiping down surfaces can be time-consuming and costly. The set it and forget it technology of the UX4 makes it a perfect fit for our busy lives. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see videos of these products in action. Be sure to use promo code out loud to save 15% off either the fogger or the atomizer. Thanks Genesis for helping me to keep my home safe and disinfected. was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all.
Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Let's jump right back in. If you're just joining us, we've been talking with functional medicine physician, Dr. Krishna Donaparthi. Dr. Donaparthi, so let's talk a little bit about, um, I heard you speak at the Orlando at the Orlando event, I came in, I, I didn't, I only caught the last half of it, but the phospholipids, I feel like I've learned more about phospholipids just in hearing and listening to your talks than I ever did in nursing school. So I'm a little bit fascinated. I want to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so the, uh, the concept of phospholipids is definitely not new, uh, but the, the attention that it's getting is more and more. And, and I've been training practitioners for for quite some time about phospholipids and why they are so important. So I'll try to quickly summarize uh, what, what they do, Kimberly, so that everyone can be up to speed super fast. And of course, this is a much longer discussion. There's no way we can cover it in a oh, short yeah. period of time. Oh, so let me kind of explain what phospholipids are. We make, when we eat, say, for instance, protein, that we, the protein is broken down by our digestive tract and we make uh, or have consumed amino acids. Amino acids are what protein is, just like sugars are what carbohydrates are when they're broken down. But these things that we know as fats and oils are fatty acids. And just like some amino acids, there are some that are essential, meaning you have to get them from your diet there are only two essential fatty acids that you have to derive from your diet. Otherwise, there are a variety of fatty acids our human body can make. But it's always helpful to eat the right kinds of food to get the right kinds of either amino acids or fatty acids. So let's focus on just fatty acids for a moment. Fatty acids are long chain, are, are a series of carbon atoms with hydrogen attached to them. And they have an electrical charge, just like amino acids. And we can assemble these fatty acids and modify them into what are called phospholipids. They tend to have an additional group. They're attached to a glycerol molecule. The, the number of fatty acids that are in the human body is greater than 40. And why this is important is that those electrical charges are incorporated into making these phospholipids. These phospholipids help to create the cell membrane around the, every single cell in the human body and including all of the little organelles and the nuclear membrane. And why this is so important is that between phospholipids that have the fatty acids and proteins, like say a hormone or other things, fatty acids determine, they create an electrical environment that only then can amino acids interact. So if you have a cell membrane, the outer coating of the cell that's made out of these phospholipids that have the fatty acids, the electrical charges of the fatty acids and the phospholipids are trump everything else around the cell. And this is important from a immunological standpoint and especially a cell-cell signaling standpoint 
Cell-cell signaling, for those who don't know, means how one cell will talk to another cell. And so you can get these fatty acids, you can make them de novo, or you can get them from the nutrition or the foods that you eat. And it's important to eat the right foods. So much of nature, we don't focus on eating fats and oils. Oils are definitely a process of getting them out of whatever kind of um, substance, whether it's corn or vegetable or canola or so on, or olives, and et cetera, or even fish. So we don't get our fats that way. The vast majority of them, we get them because we synthesize them, but you got to synthesize them correctly. The remaining ones, the essential fatty acids, and there's only two, linoleic acid and alpha-linolenic acid, or LA and ALA for short, only particularly come from seeds. Those are the best sources, some vegetables, but seeds are the best. So the interaction between the electrical charges of the cell determine what can get in or get out of a cell. This is hugely important because if you're trying to take a supplement or even have a hormone in your body to work or nutrients to get in or get out, uh, it's completely dictated by the cell membrane and the other cell membranes are the other membranes found within the, uh, the, uh, the cell. And this is going to be the future of understanding what's going on on a cellular level, because if you can't understand this concept, it's going to be difficult to understand why am I not getting better? Why is this thing that I'm taking, the supplement I'm taking, not working, and so on? And let me ask you, just to back up a little bit, we were talking a little bit about the COVID-19 vaccines and um, the spike protein and the cumulative effect of that spike protein. Um, do you feel like, or let, let me ask you this, is there a way is there a test of some kind? I, can you see the, the spike protein like circulating in the bloodstream, for example? Those are found on a more general uh, conventional lab test. If you want to know, spike protein is floating around in the blood. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're floating around in the blood is not where spike protein typically right. um, hangs out. It actually hangs out. And Dr. James Lyons Wheeler described this in his work. That protein tends to stay um, out of the cell. Uh, It tends to hang out in the cell membrane. That's where it likes to reside. The fact that you can find it in the blood is is the fact that the cell has died. And we have millions and billions of cells that are dying every day. When that cell breaks down, everything inside that cell and on the coating of the cell um, becomes mobilized. So all of that S1 protein will now start floating around in the blood. This is like hugely important to understand. When you've, uh, I I know you've seen the reports and everyone else may have seen the the news reports about young people who are in athletics uh, dying on the field or having bad outcomes. They are stressing their cells. And the ones that stress the cells the most are athletics people are in athletics when they uh, work out their muscles or their cardiac muscle 
um, those muscles die and they're replaced by new muscle. And you're, when those cells die, all of that S1 protein gets liberated into the blood uh, system. And that creates a huge immunological response. And that can lead to a cytokine storm and so on. It overwhelms the immune system. And it can create, a, now you're really talking about a complete downstream effect of vast amounts of S1 protein being in the blood system. That's in the wrong place. The fact that it's even there is an indication that um, that protein has to interact with our phospholipid membrane. If the phospholipid membrane was stronger, it would actually resist the S1 protein from even entering. So that's the power of phospholipids is that they can dictate what gets in or gets out of a cell. And if you have vulnerable phospholipids, you're going to have vulnerable infections and other chronic conditions. Yeah, because I know a lot of people are not like the um, American um, uh, American Red Cross was just recently, I saw on a social media post that they had recently said that there's no evidence whatsoever that the spike protein travels in the bloodstream, which we've seen studies that that's absolutely not true. Um, but they continue to say that it's completely safe um, and there, there's no reason for them to make a distinction between vaccinated and unvaccinated blood. Um, I am literally at the point where I would personally, I would not take a blood transfusion at this point because I feel like we have completely tainted our blood supply. Would you agree with that also? Yeah, absolutely. It's completely tainted. And uh, I personally, I hope I never need a transfusion, but I would not get one from someone who is vaccinated. Yeah. And it's so important. Like, I know that, you know, we're wanting to, I actually did some research because I early on, like nobody was talking about this. I'm like, why are we not talking about this more? And I, so I started to research. Um, I was like, well, we'll just start our own blood bank. And I started to research and it was like a billion dollars to start a blood bank. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to put that idea on the shelf. I'm not going to be the, the blood bank person for sure. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's, something that we definitely have to address, you know, as you said, I'm, I'm definitely not going, I'm hope that never happens. It is, it is rare that, you know, blood transfusions are needed, but if that, if it were to come down to that choice for me personally, I could not accept vaccinated blood. And I, and there's at this point, no way to know, um, which is, which is quite unfortunate. So I wanted to work on maybe doing like a direct don donor, network. Um, that's something, I mean, it's not going to help in an emergency situation, but at least if, you know, you're going to go in for a procedure or a surgery of some kind, and then at least we know that um, we can connect people with unvaccinated blood sources. Should there that's be? an interesting thing. I'll actually have to contact a blood bank to see if they ask, is that's a screening question or not. Yeah. It's, as far as I know, it is not a screening question, the vaccination status, interestingly enough. Hmm which is, um, th that's very disturbing to me. That is very disturbing to me that we are not asking that question, um, especially, and, and that more so that they continue to deny that it's even an issue that it can even uh, be, travel in the bloodstream at all, or that it could ever change our blood supply. They continue to this day to say that that is not right. It's like we live in some kind of parallel universe. I, I swear, I'm starting to think it's, that that's the case. Well, some people did take the blue pill. Yes, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I uh, wish we could red pill everybody. But, you know, um, 
I really do want to talk a little bit about too, you know, how I discovered you and the work that you're doing at your practice, Functional Medicine of Georgia. You and I actually very briefly met at the last uh, Next Steps conference. That's uh, that was you may not even remember that it was so brief, but um, that was hosted by our mutual friend, you know, the amazing and incomparable Tia Severino. And we absolutely love her. Very excited because we're getting ready to go, you know, for the next, well, the next Next Steps. Um, down at the Lanier Island Resort in Beaufort, Georgia. That's going to be February 22nd through the 25th. And I'm actually going to be joining yourself, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Pierre Corey, and Dr. Cami Benson as part of the New Medicine Paradigm panel. And I have to say, this is not something that you see every day, you know, and I'm very thankful to Tia for, for giving me a seat at, at that table. I'm very honored to, to share that with uh, all of these amazing physicians. But, you know, recently I, I posed the question to the medical panel down at the American Health and Freedom Summit down in Orlando, which I know you were there as well. You know, I said, how do we bridge the gap between the doctors and the nurses within this movement? Because for a long time, we, we've really had to scratch and claw our way to even have the nurses on the smallest of platforms at these events. And I don't think at all that it's an intentional slight of any of, I don't think that, I don't think that at all. I just think it's more evidence, you know, of a system that's really designed to keep doctors and nurses separate, right? And in nursing and medicine, they're not the same. I think that, you know, I continue, I view them as independent, they're parallel tracks, but I feel like they all lead to the same destination, or they should. And that is just ultimately the best possible outcome for our mutual patients. And I feel like we should be collaborating as much as possible to that end. Would you agree with that? Well, where where our two worlds do merge together, Kimberly, is that we both are supposed to educate. Nurses are supposed to educate and doctors are supposed to educate patients on um, better health yeah. or, or medicine in general. And so um, that's where I, when I say I teach practitioners, it's all practitioners. It's not just doctors or or so on, or naturopaths, and etc. It's nurses as well. You have, doctors can't do it alone, and nurses can't do it alone. We need each other to do it together. Oh, absolutely, and I, and I love that, and I love that you are um, you're teaching. Are you teaching on vaccine? Because you know what what we're doing with remnant nursing is we are really wanting to focus on uh, vaccine injured because so many. Of, of the medical community has really all but abandoned these people. You know, they don't really have anybody to turn to. They're not being recognized. They're being ignored and they're being ridiculed. Uh, they're being, uh, you know, gaslighted. They're being made to, to feel like all of these symptoms are in their head. So really, I wanted to focus our, um, our concierge nursing services on doing consultation and care and providing them compassionate care for the vaccine injured. Now, I would love to talk with you more and see about, you know, possibly going to having our nurses do a training with you to focus on, are there specific protocols that you're using for the vaccine injury? Yeah, the, the answer is yes. But uh, again, personalizing the medicine around this, whether yeah. it's vaccine injury or long COVID and so on, yeah. is important. And I do that kind of training so that um, everyone can understand how do you pick precision medicine decisions. Right. Because there's so there's so many varying degrees of vaccine injury. I mean, and there's such a wide spectrum from the, the cardiac symptoms to the neuro, neurological symptoms. And, and there's just like some people are, are very slightly affected and others are just completely devastated 
by their injury. And then some, uh, you know, others are not surviving at all. So it's so it's it's so varying. But I think that you are absolutely agree with you that it's a cumulative effect. And the more um, boosters, unfortunately, that people get, uh, the more we are going to see this death and devastation yeah. continue. Yeah. And if I think if more people wanted to come and find out a little bit more, they can do that when, when we're at next steps yeah. at the Lake Lanier Islands. And that's not too far away. No, it's but, not. Uh, it's just a couple of weeks away. So I'm excited. Yeah. We're going to have nurses down there the day before on the 21st. So and I'm definitely encouraging them all to stay on for the entire conference because I would love for them to get some insight into what you're doing as well. Um, I will say that the one, you know, one thing I really want to talk about before uh, we end today, I want to talk about uh, DNA, you know, and, and I'm not referring to the, you know, deoxyribonucleic acid, but I'm referring to the Dotaparthian Neurogen Academy. What is that about? I'm very excited to learn about this. Yeah. So DNA, like you said, is short for Dotaparthian Neurogen Academy, and it's to treat, I'm sorry, it's to teach practitioners of all levels what it is that we can do to create a new medical paradigm shift in health and wellness. And this all starts on a cellular level. And again, this is not something that on a, even again in the functional medicine world that's being taught, but it's very important. We need to do something different because what we're currently doing is, is good or okay. But as you mentioned uh, earlier on in the program, autism is now one in 36 and that number is getting smaller and smaller or larger and larger. I don't know what the word is, but the ratio is not good. And this is not just about autism. This is about a lot of things that you and I both know of, whether it's cancer, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, they're all interrelated on this issue of what's going on on a cellular level. So DNA, I am um, going to be launching that very soon and maybe in second quarter of this year. It's going to be several courses so that everyone understands truly how cell physiology and immunology and other things work so that uh, uh, everyone has a chance to have the super best knowledge around this and so that they can understand what do they need to do to make their patients truly better starting with the seven to 10 trillion cells that make up the human body. And that's so, that's so incredibly empowering when, you know, we have the education, it really frees us to be able to get people well. It's a whole different uh, feeling. It's a whole different feeling of being able to really help people get to their healthiest and highest potential. That's really something. Um, and I, I so appreciate the work that you do. And I definitely look forward, you know, moving forward and being able to, to find solutions for the, the men yeah. who are suffering, you know? So this is just to also point out that this is the research foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, we are uh, 501c3 or getting to that status. Uh, and the focus is on research. And I like most of my focus is on autism, but that's not the only thing. We can work on lots of different things, just like we can talk and chew and walk at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. The same is true for what I'm trying to focus on. I need to focus on people who are before they're born, after they're born, or after they have a prob uh, uh, medical issue. So we can focus on all three things. And that's what 
true cellular regeneration medicine is about. Absolutely. Well, I definitely, like I said, I look forward to working and work, work with you moving forward. We, I really feel like we need to all come together to be able to cultivate this uh, safe and healing environment for our patients. Once again, it's been missing for quite some time. At least in my yeah. Mind. And at the next steps one, I'll be discussing um, preconception medicine for those, because it's a brand new, brand new kind of um, medicine or, or concepts. That's what I'm going to be mentioning there, but I'll also be talking about uh, I think we're going to have a breakout session at one of the earlier days about um, medicating normal, the the, the uh, screening of that movie, too. Yes, I'm looking forward to that also. Well, Dr. Krishna Donaparthi, thank you so much for joining us today. And again, I look forward to being with you down there in Beaufort, Georgia, just a couple of weeks away. Thanks, Kimberly. It was wonderful to speak with you. Thank you. And that's all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. You can also catch the encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton, and you can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all of the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as I hand off the baton to Nurse Michelle. We are in a war for the truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily. No topic is off limits as we shine our light and expose the darkness. It's time and then.